Hashtags, a Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Dorian Kundik. Welcome to Hashtags, the Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast, where I sit down with some of our best thinkers to share practical tips and strategic insights to help you stay ahead of the curve and add value to your organization. Our topic for discussion today, flexing your innovation muscle. 83% of CMOs say they're failing to meet management expectations for innovation. Successful innovation requires clear expectations, proper investment, and the right capabilities and tools. But confusion around scope, focus, and outcomes leaves many CMOs falling short on this increasingly critical capability. My guest for today is Chris Ross, who leads Gartner's research into marketing innovation. Chris, I'd love you to say hello and introduce yourself for a moment. Well, yes, thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. And I am in the Gartner for Marketers world, and I lead a lot of our marketing research uh, around innovation, as well as brand strategy, marketing strategy, and a handful of other areas. All right. Thank you. Well, you know, to start off, you don't really hedge on this innovation thing. You say that innovation is a term that everybody likes to use, but most don't actually know what they're talking about. So just to get us going here, I'd like to get us all grounded Everybody wants to be an innovator. High level, what does that actually look like to be an innovator? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And innovation is a very buzzy term. Uh, you know, everyone, as you said, everyone wants to be an innovator. Everyone wants to be doing innovative things. And yet a lot of the work that we do with clients, people struggle because they're not actually clear about what they're talking about when they talk about innovation, which makes it very difficult to, to execute those things. We have this construct that we use where we talk to clients about what you've maybe heard, big I and little I innovation. So little I innovation is incremental improvement to things that already exist, improvement of business processes or extensions of existing products or you know kind of infinite incremental kinds of improvements. That's little I in innovation and super important. Big I innovation is more the white space type of innovation. And, and oftentimes big I innovation is what people are thinking about when they think about innovation, although you know both types are very important. But, but that's a very important thing for people to be clear on is when they're talking about innovation, which type of innovation are they talking about? And you know, there's some things we'll probably get to here later in terms of what happens downstream, depending on the kind of innovation that you're, you're thinking about. We sure will. And you know, also to frame this up, you had made what I think is a pretty critical point of distinction, which is that innovation isn't an outcome. It's actually a capability and one that's not really optional for organizations anymore. Can you talk to that just a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's really a core capability or it needs to be a core capability in a modern organization. And it seems painfully obvious, but in a lot of cases, organizations aren't very, they're not very mature in their approach to it. And, you know, if you stick with the little I, big I convention, little I innovation is really continuous improvement. It is how do you continue to evolve and optimize and, and become better as an organization? That's not something you do episodically. That's something you should be continually focused on. So that's critically important that people are thinking about it that way. On the big eye side, you want to be thinking about anticipating what's coming in the marketplace and responding quickly to things that are happening and and creating categories and creating opportunities out there. So there's you know things to be thinking about on the on the big eye side as well. So it's no longer an optional capability. If you're going to be successful from a business perspective, you've got to be good at 
continuing to get better at all of the things that you're doing and finding new opportunities there, as well as exploring and in searching for more white space kinds of opportunities. You know, we're, gonna, we're going to get into some details around uh, developing the skills to do this well later on. But again, top level here, what types of skills are you looking for on your team in order to be able to do this well? Well, at a, at a really high level, the skills are are bifurcated a bit. On the one hand, you have little eye innovation skills, which are more about how you deal with big volumes of ideas and how you manage all of those kinds of ideas and more incremental types of innovation. On the other side, you have design thinking methodology, which is often the big engine behind big eye innovation. And that's a, a core skill set that you need for that. So certainly things we can go into more deeply, but I would say those are, when you think about skills, it's you know the ability to make sure you've got the, the different capabilities to support both of those types of innovation. Marketers are really all over the map for their understanding of what innovation entails. You're having these conversations with them all the time. They're coming to you with questions about innovation. What are they asking for help on? And are they asking the right types of questions? What are you hearing? Well, there's some some common questions. I mean, one of the most common questions is how do we get started? We want to be more innovative. We want to embrace innovation. How do we get started? So there are many organizations, uh, for those of you that are listening, you're not alone if you're at the beginning. There are lots of people who are still very much at the beginning of their innovation journey. So we get a lot of questions around that. Um, we also get questions around maturing the innovation efforts that are already in place. So there are you know, many organizations that have started down the path and just want to mature their innovation initiatives and, and, and be a little bit more scalable, maybe drive greater impact, maybe redirect their innovation efforts into some new areas. So we get uh, a, a fair amount of questions of people who are just looking to evolve what they're doing from an innovation perspective. And I'd say that the third category that we get a lot of is, how do we fix a broken set of innovation initiatives where you know they've, they've started and they've run into some snags? You know They've had performance issues or they've had a difficult time um, delivering the value or they're, you know, they're just not seeing the results and the outcomes that they'd like to see. And you know, they're looking for ways to get those things back on track. So I'd say those are the, the most common questions that we get from clients around innovation. Are there certain pieces of advice that you find yourself giving over and over and over again that seem to be universally needed or almost universally needed when it comes to innovation questions? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that the the most common thing that I, I find myself saying a lot is get very clear in what it is you're trying to do. And there's also no right or wrong answer. I think oftentimes people are looking for a definitive, this is the way to do innovation and this is the right things you should be doing. And of course there are best practices and of course there are things that you can do, but you know, what's the mix of innovation? How much little I versus how much big I, uh, you know, how large scale is your effort? There's no right or wrong answer to that. It really depends on what it is you're trying to achieve. And so I'd say that's, you know, one of the things that we spend a lot of time with clients on is just how do you make sure you're clear about what it is you're setting out to do? Then let's go ahead and start delving into what true innovation looks like. We've got that big eye path, the little eye path. How's a marketer to choose, right? Uh, you suggest what you call innovation archetypes to point the way. You identify four of them. Uh, dabbler, optimist, enthusiast, and zealot. I'll just note that it's zealot in the most positive sense of that word, right? <laughs> Tell me about those archetypes. 
the archetypes are really just a construct to help people get to clarity on what they're doing from an innovation perspective. And I'll, I'll give you a really simple example. If you think about a, a two by two matrix and one axis on that matrix is how quickly the organization wants to get to some sort of an innovation outcome. And the other axis is the magnitude of that innovation. So is it a small incremental innovation or is it a big breakthrough innovation? If you think about the extremes of that, you know there are some organizations that are going to be completely comfortable with uh, being a little slow to get there, right? But they expect big innovation outcomes. So they're fine being patient, they're fine if innovation takes a while, but they expect big outcomes. There are other organizations that it's all about speed. They want fast, 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 but they're okay if those innovations are small. So that's actually really important if you're trying to create an innovation program to know that, to say, what, what's the organization expect here? Do they expect a lot of small stuff really quickly? Or are they okay if we take a long time and we're delivering more substantial innovations? Where it gets tricky, and, and this is where these archetypes can also be useful, is if you find yourself in a situation where the organization expects it fast and they expect really huge outcomes. Uh, and, and you may or may not be able to deliver that. And, and that's useful because if there's a disconnect there, if you say, look, the organization is expecting this, but we are not geared up for this. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the expertise. We don't have the capabilities. Then that's a great opportunity to have a conversation within the organization to say, do we need to recalibrate what our expectations are? Or do we need to gear up for that? Do we need to go, you know, bring in some partners or, or build that capability out so that we can deliver a higher velocity pipeline of larger innovations. So that's just one example of where those archetypes can be really useful to help you ground what you're doing and make sure that everyone's expectations are aligned. Uh, there has to be a pretty personal element to this. So what, what if you have a CMO who is in what you described as the zealot category, where they personally are go, 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 but your organization is in the rather self-explanatory dabbler category when it comes to their relationship with innovation. Uh, is there, have you run into these uh, conflicts and conversation? What advice do you give to people so they're not just feeling frustrated or underqualified or overqualified or disengaged? What, how, how do you advise people when there's just this mismatch between where they're at and where the organization is? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the first thing that's really useful is just recognizing that there's a gap and, and saying there's a, a gap between the ambitions of the, the leader and the capabilities of the organization, whichever direction that goes. You know, in some cases, the organization is expecting more than what the leader and their organization is capable of, or, you know, to your point, sometimes that's reversed. But it's important to, first of all, identify that there's a gap. And then that is often then a jumping off point to say, how are we going to address that? You know, is it dial down expectations or shift expectations, or is it the organization is going to have to make a bigger investment to make sure that um, you know, it has the capabilities to meet those expectations. So that's, that's a tension that's not unusual. It's a pretty common tension. And um, there's some real value in that tension, just you know, identifying it so that you can get to clarity. You, know, you alluded to this already, but clearly there's this need to apply the strategic thinking that you're talking about. And your research shows that most marketers are massively missing the mark here. I think you used the term massive. I stole that from you. They're massively <laughs> missing the mark. Uh, I think the data was close to 90% falling yeah. short of management expectations. Was that surprising to you? Or were you like, I'm having these conversations every day. This is very validating. Like, what, How did that land with you? 
It, it was a little surprising. I mean, I, I wasn't surprised that there was a, a, a lot of missed expectations, but the, the magnitude of the miss was actually pretty surprising. And, and, and that insight was one of the big drivers behind the archetypes work that we did and some of those things, because that's people were lacking the mechanisms to get to clarity on the expectation. So I think, you know, back to what you were asking about a couple of minutes ago, it's great to identify that gap and address how you're going to deal with that gap early on. It's a disaster to figure out that you've got a gap way down the road, right? When you're like, oh, it would have been good to know if the expectation was this instead of that long before we invested in you know all of the work that we did to go this other direction. So that's one of the reasons that we see that big gap in expectations is that people get in a hurry to do stuff and they don't take the time to say, let's really make sure that we're all on the same page here and what we're doing. You know, how the magnitude of the innovation, the speed of the innovation, the scope of the innovation, you know, what the, how much big eye versus how much little eye, that kind of stuff. Those are really, really important conversations to have long before you're making giant investments and, and taking the organization down a path that may or may not be the path that they want to go down. Yeah, and one of the great things about expectations is they can be managed, right? So I, I love the advice you're giving on that. You know, you had made a really important point that I want to talk about that big eye, little eye innovation isn't so much a story of two paths diverging in a yellow wood. Most organizations are probably doing a little bit of both, right? And what matters is finding the right balance between those. So tell me about how you go about finding the right balance. Again, we're, we're, we understand we need this outcomes focus, but how do we really get into the nitty gritty of finding the right balance between big eye, little eye? Yeah, the, the way that I encourage clients to think about this is think about it in a portfolio strategy kind of a way where you're you're wanting to understand how much is big swing for the fences, white space kind of work that you want to go pursue and how much of it is more conservative, but maybe more incremental uh, kind of innovation that you want to pursue. There is no right or wrong answer to this. It really depends on where the organization is, what their overall innovation effort looks like. We have clients that do 95% little eye innovation and are having amazing results and are, you know, couldn't be happier about what they're doing from an innovation perspective. You know, we have other clients who are, you know, pushing the envelope and, and pushing much harder on, you know, big eye innovation as a part of their overall innovation mix. We have some that look for a more balanced portfolio. Um, so it really depends on on where you're at and, you know, what you'd like to get, what you'd like to get out of your innovation initiatives. You know, I'd love to look at uh, where you see this in nature a little bit. Is the corporate world nature? It is right now. Where do you, where do you see this in nature? Uh, you visit with CMOs across all types of companies and across all industries. Are there certain ones where you'd say the need for innovation is greater than before? It's important for every business in different ways. I think you see it you see it render itself a little differently in some industries. I'll, I'll use a couple of examples. If you look at the cosmetics industry, for example, cosmetics industry is uh, are, are great innovators generally. And if you think about those spaces, they're they're doing really aggressive innovation in both directions. So they're doing a lot of little eye innovation. They're doing line extensions of existing products and new form factors and experimenting with new sales channels and doing a lot of things on that side. Parallel to that, though, they're all always looking 
way ahead to say what are new proprietary ingredients and new science and you know new trends and devices and all kinds of other things that are much further out in the future or even complete white space opportunities. But innovation is so core to those kinds of businesses and has been actually for quite a long time. Those kinds of businesses in that industry tend to be really good at innovation. If you look at other industries, Think, take something like manufacturing, depending on, you know, what they're manufacturing, you know, some manufacturing companies, if you're making uh, proprietary medical devices, you're probably a pretty good innovator, right? You're probably, you know, thinking way ahead. You're on the, the, the leading edge. If you're, you know, making, if you're a wholesale plumbing manufacturer, you know, maybe the technology hasn't made its way into your industry or you're not feeling the pressure of innovation, you know, quite the way that you might in other industries. But, you know, even as I say that, you know, sometimes even what you might consider to be the sleepiest of industries are doing some amazingly innovative things. So we, you know, I'm constantly surprised when I have conversations with clients who are, you know, not in categories that you would initially think are wildly innovative. And then you learn some of the things that they're doing and some of the things that they're exploring. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. And, and so I would say, you know, for anyone listening, you know, innovation is not the domain of certain industries. It is really, you know, everybody's game and, you know, there's value to be had for anybody. I am interested. You, you have talked about this depending a lot on your organization's approach and you would frame things up to me in terms of you've got lead dog organizations versus organizations that are more followers and that's okay. Just know which one you are, right? For those followers who can kind of draft off of others. I might be mixing sports here, dog sledding, biking, whatever people can follow. For the, for those who can kind of draft off of others, do these organizations need to build and maintain their innovation muscle in the same way as organizations that are full speed ahead? Or does that look different for them? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a strategic decision, right? I mean, there are some organizations that would rather let someone else go first and you know let them uh, take the lumps of going first right because being first is is challenging there are some real real difficulties going first. I've dealt with it my whole life. It's really hard. You understand. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dilemma. Uh, it, so there are some organizations who are okay being a little slower, being a fast follower. And, and sometimes their core, their core dis- discipline is execution. They'll say, look, we're not as good at innovation, but what we're really good at is copycatting and, and execution. So Great. we're going to out-execute our competitors. We're going to let somebody else validate a marketplace or figure something out. We will quickly replicate that, and then we will out-execute them, or you know, we'll we'll take a different strategy. Um, but I would say back to your core question. I mean, innovation is no less important for a company like that. It's just you know, some businesses will make a different decision. And again, back to the, uh, you know, I'll just go back to the cosmetics industry. You see this sometimes in that space where there are some companies that are just fast followers. You know, there are some companies in that space that they're the ones that are actually creating the big innovations and they're the ones that are first to market frequently with a lot of things. And then there are other companies that just, to your point, slipstream in behind and, you know, execute really quickly against those same ideas with slight permutations. And sometimes those can be very successful businesses. So. Do you see a danger uh, for CMOs getting a, got, getting caught a little bit flat-footed if they are at a copycat company, which we're saying in the best sense, if they're at a copycat company, uh, and so they're not necessarily building those skills and building those innovation muscles, can that come back to 
bite them down the line. Do you see that very often? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you you definitely have seen that in recent years where organizations have had this wake up call where we're not very good at this. We don't really know how to do this. And it's not just a switch you can flip on. Um, this is where sometimes you'll see uh, people leaning on outside partners for this. So the common, common construct in those kinds of situations is if an organization is not very good at this and they just don't have the appetite to you know, go through the process to build those capabilities, they'll jumpstart that by working with external partners. You know, they'll work with agencies or consultancies or outside firms to, to jumpstart that capability. How about just at a very personal level for CMOs building their career? Like if they have been at a company where they have not had to have that skill the same way or have not been building that muscle, are they going to get caught flat-footed in building their career in, in an environment where innovation is such a big deal right now? I think this is uh, you know, yet another capability and skill set that you have to add to the long list of things that CMOs need to at least be familiar with is uh, you, you've got to understand the discipline of innovation and how it works and the distinctions between little I and big I and what's required to be successful with those things and how that fits into the larger context of the business, that is incredibly important. Even if marketing is only carrying part of the innovation burden, it's something that you need to understand as a CMO is what, you know, how does innovation work and where does that sit in the organization and what is your part of it and how do you make sure that the piece of it that you're responsible for is high functioning and, and delivering on expectation? So let's zoom in a little bit more on, on this idea of the skills and the resources. We have referred to it throughout. Um, you mentioned that they need to think about them differently for big I versus little I. And I'd love to get into that design thinking a little bit. I think you made the comment to me that you need design thinking for everything. This sounds very important. And to your point, most people have heard about it. But what do people need to know about design thinking? So, I mean, there's a lot of material on design thinking. I think for purposes of this conversation, there's one thing about design thinking that, that differentiates it that I think is worth spending a minute on. What differentiates design thinking is that it is really focused on developing a deep understanding of a problem. So design thinking isn't, hey, we want to go build a better widget. How do we build a better widget? It is, we've identified a problem space and we're going to go dig into that problem space and develop a much deeper, more intimate understanding of that problem before we begin to develop solutions. And, and what happens in a lot of organizations is there is this pressure to hurry up and build something or launch something. So they kind of gloss over the insight part. They may check the boxes and they may do it, but they, 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 they kind of gloss over it and they want to hurry up and, and get something out. And design thinking is differentiated in that it really interrogates the problem much, much more deeply with the implication that a deeper understanding of the problem will lead you to more insightful possible solutions. So I think that's a really important premise. And, and one of the other challenges with design thinking or a related challenge to design thinking is because of the nature of it, it's very exploratory. So you have no idea what the possible commercial implications of design thinking are going to be when you start down that process because you don't even really fully understand the problem. Now, as a design thinking process gets deeper, you know, you do get to points where you can start to make some estimations of commercial impact and some of those things. But early in that process, it's all about exploration of the problem. So without going too far down the rabbit hole in design thinking, I just think that interrogation of the, of the, the problem is really important. And that's a capability that a lot of marketing organizations don't have that they, they need to develop. And so that's, uh, and, and that's fundamental to any kind of big eye innovation is the ability to do that. So that's there's a lot to talk about around big eye innovation, but just at the 
at the most core level, that's what makes it different. Does it have a counterpart in terms of the most critical skill on the little eye side of things? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So on the little eye side, the little eye side is, is very different. So little eye innovation is often, you'll, you'll hear the term open innovation, uh, also referred to sometimes in a synonymous kind of way. And you know the notion there is that great ideas come from everywhere. So again, from customers, from employees, from partners, from, from all over the place. And, and if you do it well, you're going to get a giant volume of ideas, right? So on the little eye side, you're going to get this huge volume of ideas. That all has to go somewhere. It has to land somewhere. It has to go through what I would call the sift and sort exercise, right? So you've got a thousand ideas. How do you evaluate those ideas? How do you prioritize which ones are even worth somebody's attention? How do you align those to business priorities? How do you look at which ones are kind of easy layups versus which ones might take a, a lot more effort to pursue? How do you vet those? How do you ultimately assign those to resources in the organization? That's a whole different set of tools and methods and skills to do that. Versus when we talk about big eye innovation, it's all about this deep exploration of the problem and you know this more expansive exploratory kind of a notion. So, so that's the contrast. And that's also one of the reasons that understanding whether you're talking about little eye or big eye is important because they're very different tools and very different skill sets. And that's a, a problem that we occasionally will see um, clients run into is they're trying to solve a little eye innovation problem with a big eye innovation tool set or skill set. Do you have a for example for that? <laughs> well, if you're trying to spend time going deep on a thousand ideas, you're not going to make very much progress. <laughs> and so, and, and, and it's frankly not necessary because oftentimes, you know, one of the great things about little eye innovation is, as I mentioned, sometimes there's some great easy layups in there where somebody will make a suggestion. Here's this very simple thing we could do to improve this business process. You know, that comes into that process. It gets evaluated. Somebody says, hey, that's a great idea. We can get that off to this group that runs that process and they can implement that next week. So sometimes you'll see things like that that come through a little eye innovation process. You'll never have any kind of analog to that in a big eye innovation process. It's just a completely different different operating model and a completely different way of thinking about innovation. So again, one's not better than the other. They're just very different. And I imagine one of the challenges with the crowdsourcing approach that little eye kind of invites is if we ask for ideas and people give them, there needs to be some kind of response or closing of the loop, right? And to your point about the volume, I'm guessing this is where a lot of organizations probably struggle a little bit and people maybe stop sharing good ideas. Do you see that? Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, that you, you see organizations vapor lock oftentimes uh, as a result right of term. this, where, where they will launch a big innovation initiative. Hey, we want all of your ideas. They'll get this crush of ideas. And then to your point, they can't manage it. It becomes this log jam. And then people get disenchanted. They're like, ah, I submitted my idea to this thing. I went into a black hole. I never you know, learned what happened to it. And so now I'm kind of done submitting ideas to that. And you know, that's why Little Eye Innovation requires a specific set of tools and technologies and processes so that that doesn't happen. You know, so if you submit an idea to something like that, the loop gets closed. You know, they say, hey, thanks for your great idea, Dorian. That's, you know, moved on to the next stage. Or, hey, that had already been considered. It was something that someone else had submitted um, a time ago. And, you know, here's where that landed. That's really important. And that requires a whole engine to do that, you know, of people and process and, and technology to run that. On that tools and technologies front, um, any trends you're seeing, anything shiny and new that you'd put on people's radar as being especially effective? Having a platform to 
take in all of those ideas and categorize those ideas and put them in a way so that the organization can evaluate them as important. And, and in addition to the tools though, and this is probably the most important thing on the little eye innovation side, is having a rubric for how those ideas will get evaluated. Because that's one of the other things that is challenging is if it's just subjective at any point in time when whatever group that does that looks at it, that's a real problem. But if you have a, a sustainable, consistent rubric that says, we prioritize ideas that align with these product categories first, or these marketplaces first, or you know this overall business priority that we're pursuing first. And then you know here are the other considerations that we have, and here's how we triage all of those. But that's a consistent rubric that you apply to things. That's what's really potent on the little eye side, is making sure that you put the work into developing something like that so that you can have a, a sustainable, scalable little eye innovation initiative. You had raised an important red flag that I imagine is planted primarily on the big big eye side of things, where marketing teams might think that they're building innovation muscle, but they're actually not. I call it the, we had a workshop syndrome. <laughs> Tell me about where we go wrong there. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and look, workshops like that can be great as a, as a way to jumpstart innovation, but innovation is not episodic. I mean, and I think it gets back to some of the things that we were talking about early on, which is this is a muscle. This is a muscle that every organization needs to develop and to you know, stick with the metaphor to develop muscle requires a consistent, sustained effort, right? And, you know, it's not something you can go to the gym once and and work out and come home uh, super fit. I mean, you've got to do it consistently. And this is the same kind of a thing. You've got to build those capabilities, you know, build them over time, continue to use them to continue to apply them, uh, make mistakes, learn from those mistakes. Uh, but that is, um, that's how you've got to think about it. And I think that's, if you, if you zoom out, that's one of the things that we see uh, with many of the clients we're working with is there is this shift in attitude where people are coming to that realization. They're saying, hey, the one-off workshop was interesting and valuable, and we may have even gotten some good ideas out of it. But if we're really going to make progress, if we're really going to be an innovative organization, that's just not going to work. You know, we've, we've got to do it more consistently and, and build that capability out. So you're seeing them put some, put some real intention behind that, that skill building. Are they bringing in new talent? Are they working with certain types of talent already existing on their team? What do you see in terms of them developing what they have to be more intentional about that? Yeah, there's there's a couple of different models. I mean, in some cases, we see these dedicated teams. You know, so people are building dedicated teams that are solely focused on innovation. We do see that. We also see this uh, democratization of innovation in organizations where you know, even if there is a standalone team, it is a skill set. I'll just use design thinking as an example where. You know, there are some organizations who are broadly training their employees on design thinking methodology and, you know, seeing some great results from that and, you know, having people working across functional teams with design thinking training and working on various innovation projects. We see these more blended models where that's not just sitting in some little siloed group that you know, those kind of capabilities are, are being distributed across the organization. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we see some of this is you know, being augmented with external partners, you know, where people are saying, hey, we you know, have a very specific 
you know, area of need and we're going to jumpstart that or even just do that on a long-term basis with external partners. So we see lots of different models and uh, lots of experimentation. I think that's one of the exciting things about this space is people are trying on lots of different approaches. You know, people are, you know, trying dedicated groups, trying kind of this democratized approach, working with agency partners, mixing and matching, you know, doing a number of different things. So that's what's exciting about it is people are doing a lot of experimentation to see what works for their organization and for the the charter that they have. You know, we, we've talked a lot on the podcast about market pr- about well market pressures for marketing teams where there are concerns about budget cuts and and tightened resources moving forward. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned from your innovation standpoint that maybe we'll start tightening up in the wrong ways and lose that edge? Yeah, I mean, certainly one of the ways that you see budget pressures rendering themselves when it comes to innovation initiatives is a little bit more of a, a bent towards little eye innovation. You know, what, what happens with little eye innovation is it is generally a little bit easier to forecast the business impact of little eye innovation because you're usually building on an existing baseline. You know, you're taking a business process or a, a current product line or something that already exists and saying, hey, we're going to do this thing to improve it or extend it or, or you know, do something to it. And you can easily or more easily forecast what the impact of that would be. And that gets pretty attractive when times get tight is, hey, can we, you know, bring a little bit more performance out of this product line or this process or, you know, this this particular thing that we're doing. Uh, so I would say in tougher economic times, the pendulum swings towards little eye innovation a bit. And yet, you know, what people also realize is that, you know, when times are tight, those are also when breakthrough innovations can be even more potent. And so, you know, this is the, this is the dilemma that, that people face when it comes to this is, you know, how do we, how do we want to play this? Do we want to be conservative? Do we want to be a little bit more speculative? And that comes back to that portfolio mentality, right? To say, how do you want to think about it? And, you know, do you want to be a little bit more speculative and, and take some chances with what you're doing from an innovation perspective? Or do you just want to think about innovation as incremental tweaking and improving and optimizing of what you have? Again, there are pros and cons to both approaches, but that's some of the decision-making that has to happen in an organization when they think about it, you know, when, when times are tight. I love that. This can really be kind of their time to shine when they're strategic about this. And to that point, you point out that a lot of marketers are doing some really great innovative work, big eye or little eye, but then they miss their moment in the sun because they're really bad at communicating their success. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it is. It is one of the ironies of marketing is that sometimes as marketers, we're not very good at telling our own story. Uh, I, I think there's a couple things. I think when it comes to little eye innovation, you know, oftentimes a lot of the innovations that come from that side are individually not breakthrough. So you've got more of a long tail mentality oftentimes on the little eye side where you've got a larger volume of improvements that individually are smaller, but cumulatively can make a big difference. So that's you've got to do the work to make sure you aggregate all of that and tell that story. And so that's one of the things that we see gets in the way of the storytelling when it comes to little eye innovation is sometimes the stories are kind of underwhelming is, you know, oh, we changed this pro- this little, you know, this little yeah. process or did this little, this little thing and it delivered a positive impact, but it's not a big eyebrow raiser for anyone, right? But if you look at it cumulatively, it can actually be pretty dramatic and pretty compelling. So that's, that's one of the challenges we see in terms of the communication on the little eye innovation side is people struggle to tell the story because it is more of a long tail, you know, rather than a swing for the fences, uh, you know, kind of a, an outcome. 
on the big eye innovation side, in particular at the early stages of the big eye innovation side, you're nowhere near having any kind of a commercialization or impact story. I mean, you don't even understand the problem yet, right? right, right. So, so telling the story inside an organization that may or may not even understand design thinking or what the early stages of that innovation process looks like and what's reasonable to expect there and making them confident that you are actually moving the ball forward and you are making progress, that requires some education, requires some evangelism. It requires the ability to, to articulate the tangible things that are happening, even though it's not, hey, we created this innovation and we sold this many widgets as a result of it. You know, That's not the story that you're telling on the big eye side, at least early on. Um, you've got to think differently about how you communicate about those early stage big eye innovation initiatives. What, you know, what problems are you exploring? What are some of the early insights that are coming? What are some of the upcoming milestones, even if they're just big insight or research milestones to help people understand, oh, here's what they're digging into. Here's the progress they're making. Here are the things that they're learning. Um, those are the ways that people communicate around some of the big eye innovation. And again, some marketers just aren't particularly great at that. And, and to your point, the irony is that oftentimes this problem exists in organizations that are doing fantastic innovation work. They're doing great stuff and they're just not doing a good job of telling your story. And I'll just say, if you want help explaining to the rest of the organization, I'd recommend snagging one of Chris's white papers and just pointing at some of his two by twos, because that tends to make it a lot easier to have a gravitas in the conversation. Everybody loves uh, a, good, a good graphic. Everybody loves a good graphic, especially a two by two. So you, you've got some great ones. So Chris, just as we're starting to wrap up here, any final words of wisdom? Spend the time to make sure that you are clear on what it is that you're setting out to do and that the organization is aligned to that so that there aren't any disconnects. Because when we look at some of the messes that end up happening downstream from that, if you could go back in time, those things would be addressed largely if there was the time spent to get to clarification. So I would say that is well worth the time. This is the uh, you know measure twice, cut once mentality, right? On your on your innovation yeah. initiative. So I would say I would say that's absolutely foundational. And then I would I would say make sure that you're truly prioritizing innovation. This is no longer an optional thing, or as you said, hey, we did a workshop once and it was great. I mean, this really needs to be a core capability in a modern marketing organization. And again, whether it's little eye focused or big eye focused or more of a balanced portfolio, you've got to have this muscle. You've got to have the innovation muscle as a core capability in a modern marketing organization. What can Gartner clients specifically expect in terms of support over the next few months? Well, really a lot more around how to do these things. Uh, you know, if innovation is important, uh, that's great, but how do you do it? You know, how do you, how do you run a big eye innovation initiative? How do you make sure that your big eye innovation initiatives are effective and, and well-managed and well-communicated? So those are some of the areas that we're going to be focused on is how to do these things. And then, you know, we touched on this earlier. We're also going to be talking about in more detail, how to tell the story of innovation, how to make sure that you're doing a great job of, of articulating the value and impact that you're creating in the organization with your innovation initiative. Chris Ross, thank you so much for bringing your expertise to the show today. And thanks to all of you for joining us here on Hashtags. We hope to see you on a future episode. Take care. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company. 
equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.